Here's Johnny. I'll be back. And you will know my name is the Lord. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to Box Office Pulp, your one podcast stop for movies, madness, and moxie. I'm your own personal star child, Kyle McLaughlin, Mike, and joining me is the woman who stole Dune from Jodorowsky, Jamie. Look, it wasn't my fault that Orson Welles' favorite restaurant got closed down. I put in one notice to the health inspector. You know, I was making a joke, but you just copped to actually doing that. Oh, no. The, the the movie buffs will hang me with my shoelaces. You're the real El Topo. I don't know where I'm going with this joke. <laughs> anyway. Um, this is no you... holy mountain, Mike. <laughs> Inkle. Um, <laughs> talented individual, Jodorowsky. Um, so if you haven't gathered both from our, what would be our last commentary, uh, which was, of course, for the new Dune film, and both from... The opening jokes and the title of this episode we are doing a little bit of a dune deep dive on box office pulp and we're talking today about the new documentary the sleeper must awaken making dune which is currently available on arrow video um it was um you can get it um with a 4k copy of david lynch's dune um but only in germany right now um there was supposed to be an arrow release uh, with, uh, it was supposed to be packaged with an error release uh, for 4K of David Lynch's Dune, but something happened. That release came without it, uh, but now it's at least finally available to watch here pretty much everywhere thanks to uh, the Arrow Player, uh, which is a really good streaming service, so recommend watching it there. And yes, it continues the proud tradition of making of cult films. To try to figure out what the hell happened. <laughs> Particularly Dune, which I love that not only has failed movie documentary become a subgenre now, it within that subgenre, Dune documentaries are their own thing. We have a trilogy at this point. That is a weird subgenre. And the amount of times Zodorowsky is going to be mentioned throughout various documentaries about the makings of movies and or failed movies. There's also like another subgenre beneath that. I was talking to uh, Mike last night. I was watching uh, Memory, the making of Alien, which uh, just released on Shudder. And it accidentally serves as a third part in the uh, trilogy of do- failed Dune documentaries because despite not being about Dune, it is still half a Dune documentary just from all of the refugees from other Dune projects who end up making Alien. Everything becomes about Dune eventually. It's like gr- 1970s gravity for film. The, I mean, hell, Flash Alien Gordon is movie. mentioned. Yes, Flash Gordon. Um, Alien is mentioned in in the Sleeper Must Awaken because they went to Guy Giger briefly, and you know, of course, then there's Dan O'Bannon and stuff. But um, so this was a. I mean, I think David Lynch's Dune has been pretty well profiled um, at this point. Obviously, it's never gotten like a big swathing documentary about its uh, 
rise and fall, I guess is a good way of uh, putting it. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with a just disinterest in the studio and probably Lynch's own disowning of it. Um, and arguably, this documentary isn't isn't really about that, which surprised me uh, upon watching. It, it yeah. touches on it. it. It does go like beginning to to end, um, but it doesn't need to, it doesn't really go into alternate cuts or, or anything like that. Though it does detail the editing process and what happened there. But what I what I really appreciated was for the first time, and and Brent, there has been making of David Lynch's Dude stuff before officially on releases. But this was the first time I really felt like I, I I got to delve into the creative process. Like this was about however you feel about the film, this is what went into it. This is the artistry that went into it from everyone. It, it didn't just focus on Lynch. It focused on every single aspect, every single person who touched the film and brought expertise to it. And it made me appreciate the film a lot more, which is what I always like about these documentaries, is except like um, Lost Soul, um, uh, the Island of Dr. Moreau, where I actually appreciate the movie less after watching it. <laughs> uh, but all these, it didn't need to get into like the dirt of it because we, we pretty much know. And yeah, it's not a that, zeitgeist documentary at all. Like it, it, no. it has no interest in discussing dune as a pop culture figure david lynch's career afterwards it what i came away with was feeling like this is the making of documentary that dune would have received if it had actually been a success like this is this is the night this is the 2001 uh dvd featurette that we deserved and god there's so much about dune I'm not a huge, I'm not really a fan of David Lynch's too. Um, I enjoy many aspects of both cuts and I appreciate it actually in a lot of ways. Um, but now looking at it, I do look at it differently. I, I have to admit it's, I mean, besides like a lot of the funny anecdotes, like the Orson Welles thing and, and stuff like that, which I almost don't really want to spoil because <laughs> it's just watch the documentary. It's, it's such a gold story. Once again, Orson Welles just popping up and, and 1970s and 80s Hollywood to be weird in in sci-fi fantasy particular. <laughs> um, but God, it's like I've made fun of the stilt suits in that movie like a thousand times, and now you can maybe argue that they overthought a lot of stuff with the stilt suits in that movie, and maybe that's why they look weird. But the amount of effort, time, and, and preciseness that went into the crafting those suits that you think are just like. Oh, they're just some rubber suits they slip on. But no, there's all of these different aspects of them. The, the, revealing to me that the sets were, weren't were like made of styrofoam and shit like that. Like, no, um, they were made of wood, so that way they would look natural. You know, they were made of stone. They were, ma- they were made of the material they were supposed to be made out of. And the effort put into props that would show up once, just so you get this building of the universe so it looks so you truly feel like you're in a sci-fi world you've never actually seen before like a lot of things i think we as viewers to david lynch's dune have taken for granted as just like some weird shit or part of just the overall aura of odd the movie gives off or kind of unintentional hilarity perhaps 
but there is so much more serious purpose to it than I I ever really thought. It kind of opened my eyes and made me like a little less cynical towards it. Yeah, on our uh, recent commentary for Denis Villeneuve's Dune, uh, Cody made a really great analogy that uh, David Lynch's Dune is to cinema what Ralph Bakshi's animated Lord of the Rings was to animation. And honestly, after watching this movie, I think I'd take it a step further and say David Lynch's Dune was Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. Like that level of detail, that level of care, that level of backbreaking labor and determination went into this movie that was ultimately absolutely mangled in the editing room by a studio that had no idea what they had on their hands. Like, you look at a miracle movies like The Fellowship of the Ring and you think, all of this could have gone so wrong if just one thing didn't go right. And Dune, tragically, is that movie where just one thing had to go right and everything went wrong. And that's, that's not something I would have thought about David Lynch's Dune beforehand. I, I think I'm, you and I are pretty uh, eye to eye when it comes to how we view Lynch's Dune. It's not a movie we like necessarily, but it's a movie that endlessly fascinates us. Uh, before the show, uh, we were joking a little bit about uh, another auteur sci-fi director's uh, weird 80s project, uh, Ridley Scott's Legend. And I'd probably compare uh, Lynch's Dune to that, in that uh, it's not really a movie I like to sit down and watch, but I love that it exists. Like, there's something very unique and strange and otherworldly about its aesthetic. And knowing that all of that was very intentional and was the result of mind-boggling craftsmanship and not just an accident of a bloated Batman and Robin-esque uh, runaway production. Like that, that's filled me with so much respect for a movie that has more or less just been an affectionate joke between my friends and I over the years. Yeah. First, I would like to say, speak for yourself, I will watch Legend right now. <laughs> Oh, any cuts. Just bring it on. Mortal um, world turned to ice. I wooed her, all right. Um, I just, you expect it to be, hey, you know, between like Dino and Lynch being in over his head and weird, you know, it's like he created this catastrophe. But seeing actual the vision beginning to end, and especially Lynch's vision, and the fact it was, I mean, yeah, we've never seen it because it's been edited to hell no matter what form you watch it in. I know there's fan edits to get it as close as it possibly could get, and um, I, I know those are apparently very good. I, I really need to actually sit down and watch them sometime. But uh, I don't know. You, you, I would assume when you watch the final product that this is a whirlwind of fuck-ups, of haphazardness, uh, of just throwing stuff at a wall. But it's not... Uh, Every piece built into that world is like its own beauty and, and its own from its own aesthetic. Like knowing that like a lot of you got the costume designer from Excalibur and a lot of that was 
very much inspired by Excalibur. But there was also an attempt to ensure that look-wise, it, it didn't match any other sci-fi movie. Um, and it didn't overtly go for matching the artist material that had already existed for Dune, because that would have been too easy. And yeah, you get weird shit because of it, but it's not saying it all works, but I appreciate the choices that are made to get there because they are trying to be different. And I also appreciate learning that David Lynch, too, hated that fucking nose piece. <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually a perfect example of what you will learn in this movie. Discovering that the weird nose plugs were due to a tense compromise between him and Frank Herbert, who still wanted them to be covered head to toe. Like, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of this movie's uh, odder features come from uh, Lynch trying to compromise between a studio system he was never going to be comfortable in and a fairly egomaniacal at the time of a creator who was not going to accept anything that strayed too far from his vision, even if the movie was like laboring under the, under the weight of all the dune it had to deal with. Which is how you get things like uh, the Minecraft shields. Yeah. Which could have just been cut out of the movie, but it's dune, so you gotta have Herbert's shields in there, even though the technology wasn't quite ready for that. It was interesting to learn that those were not early computer effects. Yeah, I could not believe that. Which, once again, you kind of end up, it's not a good effect, and no. it doesn't look good, but you kind of oddly respect it now, because it's not just thrown together early, over, you know, overcompensated computer graphics. Like, no, actually, a lot of the S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff is interesting, like, glass prism effects that are then, like, rotoscoped over. Uh, real locations. It's, it's very interesting. Lynch just built that robot. That was weird. Yeah, I assumed apparently no stop motion was actually utilized at all in the entire picture. <laughs> Lynch just built a robot to kick Paul Atreides' ass. Technically, Kyle McLaughlin is battling for his life against an actual machine in that training sequence. <laughs> One thing that was really surprising for me, like going back to, to Lynch and his dedication and vision in making this movie, it wasn't until seeing this documentary that I'd ever heard David Lynch speak aloud about Dune, either yeah. the production or the novel itself. It never occurred to me that, du that Lynch read the novel before accepting the script. That was a revelation. Yeah, I, did not, I did not know that. Uh, hearing Lynch talk passionately about Dune early on, like there's some great archival interviews with with Lynch and, and many people. There's no there's no talking heads in this documentary. It's pretty much all voiceover. They get some really like, good figures. They got like Peter Scarlatta in there, and, um, but there's this, these great archival audio clips of David Lynch and hearing him passionately discuss the story of Dune and the intention of the book and and what it what it was and and the respect it it needs to be given in an adaption like i don't know just you would assume david lynch oh he just goes off on his own and kind of like jodorowsky to to a degree like just went off on his own and did his own thing 
which is something that's it's kind of obvious when you think back to it like of course david lynch would really like do <laughs> it's weird in a lot of ways that he's weird like you look at what lynch would do after doom whenever he went super into his own head and he's on the the imagery that lynch naturally gravitates for just kind of naturally lines up with a lot of stuff that's in dune to begin with and you look at yeah. lynch's career at the time with stories like the elephant man he was doing like more contemplative philosophical stuff so dune kind of hit him right where he lived at that particular moment in his career it's a lot more earnest than i ever thought it was both in an adaption and what the story of dune is even if it's you know it it bites off way too much it's you know it, it, in a lot of ways it makes sense like oh this is someone who really is trying to make dune and throwing too much dune into dune now, I it think one of the reasons the the new one works so well is it it doesn't it doesn't take away from Dune. It just shaves down the sides a little bit, so it it, it goes down a little bit easier. Yeah, it really makes you wonder what could have been accomplished if Lynch had just been able to split it up into two movies with the footage he already had, because the assembly cut of Lynch's Dune was said to be five hours. They yeah. had enough material to make two full-length movies if they wanted. There is at least a four-hour cut that exists somewhere. I mean, probably what would be Lynch's full director's cut would probably be... I mean, I, I assume if he was... a Maybe if he did want to pare it down more, I doubt it would go under three and a half hours. Especially if it was like today's Lynch editing it, but... And to me, that's a, that's a good sweet spot for what Lynch was trying to accomplish. That's why I also can never really completely come down on the movie. Yeah, I can come down on, like, aesthetics and and all that stuff. And there's multiple cuts, of course, you can view. But I nowadays, I'm very, like, if I haven't actually seen what the director made, I can't completely come down on the film. Like, I don't know how to come down the film properly. But I can't really, I can't say I've seen the film because I haven't seen the film. I've seen a Frankenstein monster version of the film. And not, not to say like Lynch's dude is a Frankenstein monster, but it, the, the documentary goes into it. It's just tries to give it more action than it actually is supposed to have. It, it cuts out so much explanation. It replaces ex, uh, exposition that was supposed to be there and, and removes a lot of like the keeps a lot of dreamlike qualities in and removes others you know obviously a director's cut wouldn't fix things like the creepy whispery voiceover of random characters at random intervals but you know it, it knowing what i know now after watching the documentary i think somewhere sitting on a shelf really is something possibly watershed in cinema and i, I know that's like a little bit hyperbolic but man the 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 amount of passion that went into that and the collection of it is a lot like Hodorowski in that it's this collection of pure imagination and whether or not it works at all doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Yeah, it's uh, like the most out there uh, genre movies from the time. Mitch's Dune kind of takes you away to another world. It's it feels very 
personal in a way that a lot of movies like that just plain aren't. As much as I utterly adore uh, Villeneuve's Dune and consider that probably the best adaptation you could hope for, it doesn't have the same feeling that I am walking through the dreams that someone had after reading Dune, which is how how uh, Lynch's Dune makes you feel. Yeah, there's something like, wild and just, I don't know, whenever a movie is just pure director imagination and it doesn't work, there's something really special about that. Like once again, kind of going back to Legend and and other movies of that type where it doesn't work so hard, it works because it's just unfettered. It, it's it's like a, a Bosch painting where it's just pure id just all over the canvas. Well, much and, like Dune, well, much like Dune itself, it's sloppy sci-fi. It's sci-fi yeah. that's rough around the edges and personal and uh, does not know how to always be polite, which is where some of the most like striking things come from that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, I think if a documentary can be good for anything, it's it's really making you think about the subject it's about. And you don't you don't get that with a lot of uh, film documentaries because they kind of and this isn't to say like because they don't make you you know think on the subject more they're they're lesser nothing like that it's just from the way the subject works you're already talking about something that creates an effect so you're just kind of talking about the effect you already have this was an interesting case where the documentary of a movie makes you truly re-examine the movie even though it is just a making of like it's in the title it's making doom but We've never really truly seen the making of Dune. We've never seen it actually appreciated as a nuts and bolts film put together beginning to end with visionaries behind it. It's always just, this was a hell of a thing. Well, there, someone says at the beginning of the documentary something that I think sums it up fairly well. Uh, something I've been waiting for someone to say publicly for a long time, which is, if David Lynch had directed Return of the Jedi, it would have just looked like Return of the Jedi. It's very true. Despite what fil- like what film nerds like to say, like, oh, could you imagine the alternate world where Lynch had done Return of the Jedi and it looked like Dune? That was not going to happen. Return his Return of the Jedi would have been a Star Wars movie. The fact that he did Dune instead meant so much more for both David Lynch as a person, David Lynch as an artist, and just movies in general. Like, you look at how much David Lynch has influenced American pop culture through his films, through through Twin Peaks by itself. All of that exists because of this explosion of creativity that came from this fucking movie. Just the one time David Lynch had all the money in the world to see how far his imagination could take him. And that that elevates this, I think, beyond even uh, just a making of documentary or a reappraisal. This is like an artifact of one of the most important things to happen in movie history, in the history of our pop culture. Yeah, I mean, the documentary spells it out at the end. Like, yes, Dune ruined david lynch from being that guy from from being you know being able to 
do these giant studio pictures with all these all this money and stuff and send him on a different course but what he got was dino gave him blue velvet and gave him full creative control on blue velvet seemingly because he just felt bad of what the studio did to dune Dino and, and Lynch got, just kind of became friends for a while. They went to Ven- Venice. It all sounds very fascinating. I, I kind of want a separate documentary about them hanging out at like Dino's villa and shit. What was that like? Because you know they did coke together. <laughs> Zavella Rosalini was there. <laughs> but and because of Blue Velvet, be- and Blue Velvet happens because Dune fails, we get David Lynch essentially. Like it, Lynch's career. After, like Elephant Man and Dune was going to go off in a different direction. Not saying it still would have been spectacular and, and changed everything. It may have, I mean, God knows what we would have gotten that could have changed things even further. But we wouldn't have gotten things like Lost Highway or Mulholland Drive or Twin Peaks because they needed to come after Blue Velvet. That gave us a very specific kind of Lynch, and Lynch found a voice to continue because of that. Yeah, and all because Patrick Stewart cut his hair before uh, signing on to be Gurney, and David Lynch was really disappointed in that. Could you imagine if we got Patrick Stewart with long hair as Gurney, though? <laughs> that would have been so hilariously inappropriate. Long, dirty hair and a beard. I love that at some point, someone thought that Patrick Stewart looked too young. That was an odd comment. He sh- he shows up bald and looking younger. Wait, what? I, I think he would have looked he older. He would have looked younger with the long hair and the beard. Patrick Stewart came out of the pussy with at like sixty five. <laughs> yeah, it's like looking at young Ian McKellen, and he just looks like Ian McKellen after like a really long nap. Max von Sydow looked exactly the same until the day of his death. Yeah, it's fucked up. Look at look at uh, Kynes, and then look at his character from The Force Awakens. Exact same guy. And I'm not saying it's like, oh, these people who always look old, you know, like it's a bad thing. No, that's awesome. They always look distinguished and cool because of that. I wish I looked like that. Could you imagine being in kindergarten and you're already a gentleman? Like people make fun of Morgan Freeman for like always looking old, but how fucking cool is that? I have no time for this old shaming. <laughs> in this podcast, we stand pops. Damn right. And that's why I still support Liam Neeson's older career <laughs> as an action star. But um, yeah, obviously. Check out the documentary. It's and it's not one of those like long four and a half hour epic documentaries, too. Thankfully, this is um, not put out by Shudder. Yes, um, it's nice. It's succinct. It is chock full. You can watch it on Arrow Video right now. Um, just get yourself a thirty day free trial or something. I mean, I'll throw a link into the uh, episode description. And yeah, I really recommend it. They have the yokai movies on there now, which have been out of print over here for quite a while. So, yeah, if, even if you just get the free trial, there is so much like hidden gems on Arrow. I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, and they include special features and stuff on there for, for stuff. It just it's a service I wish more streaming services decided to copy, but I digress. Mm. 
But uh, for Box Office Pulp, you can, of course, find us, as always, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We are on Spotify. Um, if you want, you can go to pod.link slash boxofficepulp, and there's going to be a ton of different links you can subscribe to us on. But also our website is, as always, boxofficepulp.com. We're on Facebook. Facebook.com slash box office pulp podcast, Twitter at box office pulp. I'm Lucky Deck Napier on the Twitter and Jamie. And you can find me on the very same Twitter at Mondo Funky. Uh, Cody's not here to promote his Twitter, so I just tell you to find him somehow. Find Cody. Whichever way you can. Dune Planet. Roger. And like that. He's gone. Seriously, they, they, the sound guns are still fucking stupid. Yeah, I, I was, was that, did that come to Lynch in a dream like the Red Room? <sighs> Why were there sound guns? Why did he say his girlfriend's name to blow up things? That's the power of love. You've I seen Back like to how... the Future, you heard the song. Uh, yeah, I, I heard um, the song in that one SNL sketch where Kevin Nealon sings it while in the elevator with Michael J. Fox um, because he recognized Michael J. Fox and starts singing The Power of Love, and it's really awkward, and that's the that's the sketch. It's actually a really good sketch. Um, I'd recommend it if you haven't um, seen it in a while. I like the one where George Foreman was the Incredible Hulk. Ooh, that's a good one. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.